0: Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Jessica Domel.
1: Hello Texas, and thank you for joining us this Thanksgiving week for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Jessica Dolmwell, sitting in for Carrie Martin. We're part of the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. Farmers
2: and ranchers in the Texas High Plains continue waiting for a big decision about a little bird. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today.
3: A status report on hay production in East Texas as input costs continue to rise. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today.
4: Thanksgiving is close at hand and that means that the Texas Farm Bureau annual convention can't be far behind. This is Harvey Buring reporting from the Corpus Christi area.
1: We'll have those stories, news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The infrastructure bill signed into law this month includes some language to address problems with livestock hauling regulations. Carrie Martin joins us with that story.
5: Jarrah Settles is general counsel for the Livestock Marketing Association.
1: The infrastructure bill contained what we call kind of the backside 150, um, which is uh, a flexibility that allows drivers who are hauling livestock to finish their run. If they're within 150 air miles of their destination, they can go ahead and finish that run uh, rather than having to, to get just super close to where they needed to go and then pull over and stop. So we think that's going to really allow people to facilitate a, a more kind of cautious and, and safe unloading procedure as well while navigating country roads uh, to get to feed yards or even uh, to processing facilities.
5: All livestock haulers are currently exempt from hours of service regulations under temporary exemptions thanks to COVID-19. Settle says that exemption expires at the end of this month and the industry is working to get it extended. I'm Carrie Martin on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: Time is running out for Texas farmers to enter their crop in the National Sorghum Producers Annual Yield Contest. The contest recognizes farmers from across the sorghum belt. It's an opportunity for farmers to showcase their crop and compete with others. The winners of this year's contest will be recognized at the upcoming Commodity Classic in New Orleans. The deadline to enter is December 1st. Details are available at sorghumgrowers.com/backslash/yieldcontest. That is sorghumgrowers.com/backslash/yieldcontest. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is reenacting the Obama-era Waters of the United States rule. Carrie Martin joins us again with that story.
5: That announcement was made last Thursday by the EPA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack.
4: I think while it is not a total redraft of a previous rule, I think it also takes into consideration the court decision, which makes it a little bit different than either the Trump rule or the Obama rule. And obviously folks are going to have the opportunity to weigh in on this. Our challenge and our job will be to work with producers as they take a look at what they may have to do or not have to do based on compliance and figure out ways in which we can use the tools at USDA to make it easier for them to comply.
5: EPA and the Corps of Engineers are proposing to interpret waters of the U.S. based on pre-2015 regulations, guidance, and Supreme Court decisions, including former Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy's significant nexus test. I'm Carrie Martin on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: A proposal from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could impact landowners in the Texas panhandle. James Hunt joins us from Amarillo.
2: Earlier this year, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service issued a proposal calling for protections for the lesser prairie chicken in two geographic areas that include portions of our region. A public comments period was conducted over the summer and a final decision from the agency is expected sometime soon. If U.S. Fish and Wildlife goes through with what it initially proposed, here's what the plan would entail, according to Jay Bragg, who works on government policy issues for Texas Farm Bureau. If you draw a line from kind of the corner of the the Texas Panhandle uh, up near Dalhart down to Amarillo kind of catty corner uh, through the Panhandle. Uh, anything north of that would be considered the northern distinct population and fish and wildlife has designated that or proposed that to have a threatened status and then the southern population which is kind of the western side of the texas panhandle into new mexico is the southern distinct population and they propose to list that as endangered texas farm bureau stated its opposition to that plan during the public comments period bragg says population surveys indicate the lesser prairie chicken is actually recovering but of particular concern is U.S. Fish and Wildlife's consideration of an endangered listing in that southern zone. A threatened listing would have less impact on landowner activities, but labeling the bird as endangered could be so restrictive even conservation efforts could be discouraged. So Texas Farm Bureau's position is, If they feel like a listing needs to be made, make it a threatened listing for the entire range and for all the species and allow these conservation programs to continue to work. When the agency's final decision comes and we can talk more about the impact, we'll have follow-up reports. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau radio network.
1: As we move through the fall and into the winter, the attention of many livestock owners across the state is drawn to pasture, forage, and hay availability. Tom Nicoletti joins us with more.
3: For today's program, we go to uh, East Texas cattle producer and hay producer Kevin Council. He uh, has his operation in Madisonville in Madison County. And Kevin, uh, hay production for you folks. Uh, give us a, a rundown on how the quantity and quality uh, have looked this year.
6: Quality was kind of poor coming out of the spring. We had a heavy, heavy spring rains, which kept us out of the field. Till probably mid to late july finishing our first cutting the cutting was way above average production wise but the quality was poor you know in texas it seems like when the rain shuts off it just totally shuts off and goes on vacation so after july we uh, started getting in the field and we've had ample rains at the right time to get second and third cuttings up That was a uh, really good quality but our, our rainfall has been 70 to 80 percent below average since July.
3: So meanwhile, as you're dealing with the hay production, you're also addressing the high input cost when it comes to raising your livestock.
6: Oh, that's right, Tom. It looks like I've talked to my feed producer that I booked my feed through and they weren't even wanting to give me a booking price because of the volatile. Uh, commodity markets, but it looks like my feed's going to be probably 30 percent higher than last year, which is nothing different than what all of our consumers are seeing at the pump or even in the grocery store. So, uh, you know, we're seeing high beef prices in the grocery store. My son lives in Austin and the grocery stores in uh, Austin, the beef counters were empty, but us as beef producers, we're not seeing a return on that cost. So somewhere that return is uh, not making it back to the producer.
3: That is East Texas cattle and hay producers. Kevin Council. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: Farmers and ranchers from across Texas will head to Corpus Christi in a few days. Harvey Buring joins us with more.
3: Well,
4: we hope everyone is getting ready for Thanksgiving. It's a big holiday, and we don't want you to forget to say a word of thanks to the Texas farmers and ranchers for all the important work that they do and the role that they play in providing food and fiber for American consumers. And once that Thanksgiving dinner has passed, that means that uh, we're about a week away from the start of the annual Texas Farm Bureau Convention, and this Year, it'll be held in the Coastal Bend area here in Corpus Christi at the Bayfront Convention Center. And that'll be on the 3rd through the 5th of December. And this year, the Coastal Bend is proud to have one of the three finalists in the State Outstanding Young Farmer and Rancher Contest. And they are Travis and Bethany Warnerick. Travis is a first-generation farmer here in the Coastal Bend. And he produces cotton, grain, sorghum, and wheat and operates farms in Nueces, Jim Wells, and Bee Counties. Travis has been very active in the Nueces County Farm Bureau, serving on the board for about six or seven years and has served as Secretary, Treasurer, and Vice President. And we want to wish all of the finalists the best of luck. And that big event will be announced during the State Farm Bureau convention in Corpus Christi, one of those finalists will be taking home a pickup and some fine prizes. Reporting from the Coastal Bend area for Farm Bureau Roundup, this has been Harvey Buring.
3: The other outstanding young farmer and rancher finalists are Travis and Kalen Isbell of Florence in Central Texas. They raise commercial cattle and stockers as well as a Dorper sheep flock. The Isbells grow grass hay and winter oats along with a custom hay business. The couple is active in the Williamson County Farm Bureau. Travis serves on the board of directors. And Austin and Rachel White of Vernon are the other finalists. They have a cow-calf operation, run stocker cattle, and grow hay, wheat, and dryland cotton on the Texas Rolling Plains. The couple has been active in county and state Farm Bureau activities, With Austin serving as Vice President of the Wilbarger County Farm Bureau.
1: With Thanksgiving just a few days away, there are no doubt cooks across Texas and the United States preparing their turkey and their favorite sides for family and friends this holiday. And of course, some of us are asking, how are we supposed to thaw out those frozen turkeys? What's the best method and the safest method? Gary Crawford from the U.S. Department of Agriculture and Meredith Carruthers from USDA's Meat and Poultry Hotline join us with more.
7: Some people just leave it sitting out on the counter all day long. Bad move.
1: Thawing at
6: room temperature is the thing that kind of dooms people's Thanksgiving from the start.
7: Dooms. Meredith Carruthers with the Ag Department's Meat and Poultry Hotline says first, by the time the inside of the turkey thaws, the outside's been at room temperature for hours, allowing bacteria to grow. Those then could create heat-resistant toxins that won't be killed by the cooking process. And then if you eat those, it could essentially make you sick. So Meredith says... the refrigerator is going to be the safest method of thawing. It keeps things below 40 degrees, too cold for bacteria to grow, but you need to plan for that longer thawing time. It'll take about 24 hours for every 5 pounds of turkey. So you do the math on that. I'm terrible at numbers, except for the number of the Meat and Poultry Hotline, where you can get answers to your holiday meal questions. Call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. That is 888-MP-HOTLINE.
1: M-P-HOTLINE for meat and pee for poultry hotline. You can also go to ask.usda.gov. And mule deer season has opened in a few areas of Texas. I'll have more on that in our next segment. Transitioning your horse from shod to barefoot can be done, but it requires some planning. Texas Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next right here on Texas Ag Today.
0: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today.
1: It is important to have a plan if you plan on removing your horse's shoes. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd joins us with that story.
7: Dr. Chris White indicates in the horse publication that lots of folks in the northern U.S. remove horses shoes for the winter to keep snow from packing onto the steel shoes. Although typically we do not have that much snow in Texas, you still may want to remove the shoes at some point and it is important to have a plan to do so. Sometimes it's helpful to remove the shoes and let the horse's feet be in a natural state and only trim the feet. Trimming is important but trimming when first removing the the shoes should be minimal as you are removing lots of protection provided by the shoe and removing too much sole and also removing the shoes can lead to lameness due to bruising. Allowing horses to be without shoes for a period of time will help with contracted heels and allow the horse to grow a healthier frog. Certainly if your horse has a problem with thrush then removing the shoes is a good idea. Alicia Harlov is a farrier and she indicates in the horse publication that if she is going to remove shoes she starts with the hind feet as she feels this this is an easier transition rather than removing all four shoes at the same time. Some horses are uncomfortable when removing all four shoes at the same time, and this gives them time to adjust to being barefoot. She also indicates a well balanced diet is important for hoof health, and addressing any conditions like laminitis, secondary to Cushing's disease, or equine metabolic syndrome is critical for success. Alicia makes a point that barefoot is not for every horse, and I totally agree. Some horses have genetically thin soles and will. Never do well barefoot while others do very well barefoot. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd.
1: Texas game wardens are amping up their patrols in the panhandle this week as hunters from across the United States visit Texas for mule deer hunting season. The general mule deer hunting season for the southwestern panhandle and the panhandle opened Saturday. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, game wardens will dedicate extra patrol hours and resources to mule deer hunting season. They'll be looking for improperly tagged deer, people illegally hunting deer at night, those hunting without landowner consent, and other infractions of state hunting regulations. The bag limit is one buck per legal hunter and does not allow the taking of a mule deer doe unless a special Managed Lands Deer Program permit is obtained. In addition to checking for other violations, Game wardens in the Panhandle will also be looking to ensure that minimum antler restrictions are being met by hunters in the following counties. Briscoe, Childress, Cottle, Floyd, Hall, Motley, and Lynn. In those counties, a legal buck must have an outside antler spread of 20 inches or greater. If the outside spread of the main beams are less than 20 inches, the deer may not be harvested legally. State game wardens aren't just patrolling on the ground this year. Lieutenant Aaron Sims reports they'll be patrolling by plane to spot potential suspects from the air and communicate that to game wardens on the ground. Hunters in the Lubbock area are also reminded that a chronic wasting disease containment zone has been established there, requiring whitetail and mule deer hunters to bring their animals to a TPWD check station within 48 hours of harvest. You can find a check station and see this year's rules and regulations on the Outdoor Annual app and OutdoorAnnual.com. We started this Thanksgiving week out with corn and cattle trading higher and cotton trading lower. We'll take a look at how the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and the financial markets closed out Monday coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
8: It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org stress to learn more. We're
0: giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today.
1: We saw good momentum in the cattle markets Monday, despite it being a holiday week. December live cattle closed up 90 cents to 134.42. February live cattle up $1.27 to 138.97. April 2022 live cattle up 97 cents to 142.27. January feeder cattle up 77 cents to 161.70. March feeder cattle up 72 cents to 164.10. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble.
8: When you hear old auctioneer Troy sound off, it's time to talk to Jody Fry from producers in Cargyle San Angelo. They sell them every Thursday. Jody, how was that sale?
9: Seventeen thirty-five, I believe, was the total there. Good. Let's walk those bins. You bet. Compared to last week's sale, those better quality calves and yearlings are holding steady. Lesser quality calves today and some of those heavyweight bull calves and bull yearlings selling fully 2 to $4 lower. Heavyweight slaughter cows selling about steady. Some of those uh, thinner-fleshed and lightweight slaughter cows calling those weak to $2 lower. Not enough bred cows or pairs on offer today for a good market test on your steers your better quality steers weighing four to 600 pounds 125 all the way up to a high of 185 mostly 135 to 160. Six to 800 pound steers 115 to a high of 160 mostly 125 to 145. Better quality heifer calves four to 600 pounds from 115 to a high of near 155 mostly 120 to 145. Six to eight weight heifers from a dollar to a dollar 35 mostly 115 to 125. Slaughter cows, averaged to high yielding from 50 to 60. Did have some of the very highest yielding slaughter cows from 62 to a high of 66. Thinner or lower yielding type cows, still some of those from 30 to 46. Slaughter bulls, average to high yielding from 70 to 82. The highest yielding slaughter bulls today from 85 to a high of 93. And like I mentioned, not enough bred cows or pairs to, to really test the market.
8: Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Jody Fry.
9: Do you bet there'll still be somebody there at the office at 325-653-3371. Or my mobile phone would be 234-7895.
8: Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pins. We'll be back tomorrow with another. Until then, good day to you.
1: November class three milk down two cents to 1795. December class three milk down eighteen cents to eighteen thirty-nine a hundred weight. Cotton closed lower Monday, perhaps due to this holiday week. December cotton down 151 points to $1.17. March cotton down 46 points to $1.15. Supported by higher wheat prices, we saw corn trade higher on Monday. December corn up 6 to 5.76 and three quarters. March corn up seven and a quarter to 5.84 and a quarter. As I mentioned, wheat was trading higher for much of the day on Monday. Analysts say that that could be due to rains in Australia limiting their wheat harvest there. December hard red wheat up 27 to 8.61 and three quarters. March hard red wheat up 28 to 8.67. and a half. January crude oil was up 70 cents to 76.64. February 2022 crude oil up 77 cents to 76 dollars a barrel. The Dow up 277 points to 35,879. The S&P 500 up 27 to 4,725. The Nasdaq down 21 points to 16,034. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel, and I hope to see you then.
0: Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify.